One week to Christmas, but what if you're not feeling all that festive, especially if it's been another tough year? We hear from two organisations offering help and advice. Everybody has problems somewhere along the line, but we're very, very proud people and we're, it's a very, very lonely life. And more so nowadays because we haven't so much labour on the place. Share your thoughts, get it off your chest, pile it all out. Um, sometimes you can't do that with your family, your nearest and dearest. Also this week, our last updates of the year on beet, grain and agronomy. Sunday, December 11th, 2016. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Last week on the programme we discussed the Prevention Zone being enforced by DEFRA for poultry farmers and indeed anyone who keeps chickens, whether at home or in the farm, amid fear of avian flu spreading to the UK. As you know, you may remember from our programme back on November the 20th, it's been spreading across mainland Europe for some time, and the fear was that migrating birds might bring it to our shores. Well, those fears proved real on Friday, when DEFRA confirmed the infection had been found in turkeys on a farm near Laos. A three-kilometre protection zone is now in place around that farm. It means no transporting of birds in that zone at all for the moment. Professor Nigel Gibbons is the UK's chief vet. About 5,000 birds on the premises with a very high mortality. Many of them have died already. This is the type of bird flu that we were concerned has been spreading across Europe. Uh, Public Health England have confirmed their advice that the risk to public health is very low and the Food Standards Agency maintain their advice that bird flu does not present a risk to the food chain. It's important not to lose sight of the fact that the measures that we ask for are still important. Farmers need to be alert to maintain their disease control measures, not let disease enter their farm, and to the signs of disease, high mortality, um, swollen heads, very poorly birds, should be reported to us for investigation. So our history of control of avian influenza in this country is very strong. We have not had flock-to-flock transmission over wide areas. In other countries that has been the case, and we must prevent that. Uh, We're working now very hard to see if there are any links to this farm and we work closely with our industry to make sure that they have measures in place to stop spread from farm to farm. The risks from wild birds will remain and we must do everything we can to minimise any entry to any future farms. Uh, That's Professor Nigel Gibbons. He's the UK's chief vet. It is worth stressing the infection isn't harmful to humans. Your Christmas turkey or duck or goose is still safe to eat. And, of course, should there be any further developments, our news team are watching it carefully and we'll bring you the latest through the week. Now, it's the last programme proper for the year, so it seems only right we return to what has, without doubt, been the main talking point of the year, Brexit. The National Farmers Union has warned of problems which have already begun in recruiting workers and says that issue will only get worse if the government doesn't secure access to the single market and deal properly with freedom of movement. Tim Casey farms near Coningsby. He's seen issues already. We do leeks and asparagus, which is 12 months of the year, more or less, when you include uh, the growing as well, weeding and such things. So we have work all year round for our workers, but we rely now solely on Eastern European labour. So in that sense, they are, they are migrants, but they're here permanently. Mm. Why is it that dependence on Eastern European labour? Is it because they are the only people who want to do it, or is, is it just recruiting locally is hard, especially for seasonal work? Yes, we do, we do. We try to um, recruit locally, um, and there are uh, some sort of seasonal fluctuations in labour demand. Um, but we we can't. We just can't meet that locally. That demand.
what about this, what sort of scale is it? How many people do you need to you know get your crop in? We're not huge um, in terms of scale. We have about uh, 20, 20 full-time uh, workers here. Obviously, some some growers have, you know, they're in the hundreds of their numbers of labourers. Mm. Um, so we're relatively small scale. And obviously, your concern post-Brexit is that labour source could disappear uh, or, you know, be hindered. Well, definitely. Um, I think our problem... F- for ourselves, for our particular business, is uh, perhaps more medium to long term because we uh, we have the labour most or the work most of the year round. Um, it means that we have a constant labour force. But as people start to move away, get new jobs, um, what have you, it's becoming increasingly difficult to find people to replace them, and it will continue to get ever more difficult. Mm. I've heard you say that there's that this was kind of a problem 10 years ago before you know the entry of some of the Eastern European states into the EU. Um, what was that problem back then? You know, Was it just getting people here to work the fields? Yes, well, there was... Uh, previously, there was the SOARS, the Seasonal Agricultural Workers Scheme, uh, which allowed students to come in, uh, I believe, for a maximum of... I think it was six months, though I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, and then they would have to leave again. So there was a mechanism for getting people in, but it, it got very difficult because there was still a heavy reliance on local um, domestic workers, which was getting increasingly difficult to find. And it did actually happen, I believe it was down in Kent, that they had strawberry growers that weren't able to pick their strawberries because there just weren't wasn't a labour available for them. What do you think the government needs to look at? Obviously, we're a... You've said it's hard now. This is pre-Brexit. What does the government need to look at? You know, if we're going to look at a post-Brexit situation to drive up recruitment, there's there's two things that we really need to be considering. One is a replacement for the seasonal agricultural workers scheme, um, so that we continue to have access uh, to that labour, um, or some some kind of uh, scheme within the Home Office, just that guarantees us that labour source. That will help us get through the short term. Longer term, um, we need help with research and innovation so we could start looking at things like robotics and automation so that we can actually drive down the need uh, for so many labourers and improve our productivity. I've heard that suggesting that technology can fill the gap. I'm assuming that's still quite a few years off for you, um, you know, or I'm guessing the technology isn't really there yet. Unfortunately, it is a few years off. The technology is there. It's just not commercially available at such a scale yet that we can really utilise it. Um, Maybe if we're lucky three years, probably more like five to ten years. So we've got to bridge that gap somehow in the meantime, but ultimately it is where we need to end up. Tim Casey speaking to Matt Soans there on the farm near Coningsby. We'll have our final update of the year from Open Fields soon. But first, it's an update from Nick Morris of British Sugar on the Beat campaign. Morning, Nick. Morning, Sean. Uh, what's uh, what's happening with the campaign then? Update us. Last one of the year. That's right, yeah. So I'll start, start with campaign. And we're now 75 days in, which is what we expect to be halfway through this campaign. And I can report that the factory continues to perform really well. And in fact, by 7 o'clock this morning, we will have processed over 700,000 tonnes of sugar beet. And are currently averaging a daily daily slice of 9,440 tonnes a day. So really pleased with that uh, performance so far. It's fair to say we've also been blessed with uh, some continued settled weather and what a joy it is to see. As such, harvesters remain well in front of lorries. It is normal uh, really at this stage of the season for some growers to store an amount of sugar beet in order to get fields cleared and uh, get some winter crops sown. And sometimes also it's just to reduce the area 
stored in field to protect the crop from any frost should cold temperatures arrive. So just to get it uh, safe and secure. However, while the temperatures are as mild as they are at, at the moment, um, it's really important to minimise that storage time um, as well as minimise the temperature of any stored crop. So smaller smaller heaps are, are much more useful at this uh, while conditions are as they are. So from the 50% of contract we've delivered so far, the quality of the crop remains good. We've received 25,500 loads to date with an average dirt tear of 5.7% and sugar content is currently averaging 1728 So we continue to be amazed actually at just how much the crop has grown this autumn and it continues to do so now even in the middle of December again with these conditions being so mild. Anecdotal commentary from our growers, harvesting contractors and hauliers is always a really useful yardstick as to how well the crop is yielding and reports today are really encouraging and it's fair to say it looks like this crop will surpass our expectations as far as yield goes. So, so far we've got 115 contracts that have now finished delivering their crop for the season. Overall yield is over 70 tonnes a hectare which is really pleasing and the average has actually increased by one tonne a hectare since my last report two weeks ago. So definitely on the up and up. Um, just one to watch out for, we have received a small number of reports from growers recently who have been finding some deteriorated roots in fields and sort of storage clamps. What could be the cause of that, do you think? Well, I, I guess firstly I would just say that... Uh, it's, it is rare uh, relative to the amount of crop we're actually harvesting. Um, however, it's not unusual to find a small number of cases of deteriorated roots at this time of year. And identified early, it doesn't normally cause too many problems. It could be disease such as violet root rot or a secondary infection following damage at harvest. But just the point to make is the most important thing for growers to do is inspect their crops in the field and clamps for any signs of rots and inform their British Sugar Area Manager if any deteriorating roots are found so it can be assessed and prioritised for delivery. Because we can always we can always manage it, or most most cases. But uh, overall, our industry has every reason to be in good spirits at the moment of the uh, of the festive season. Just by way of reminder, the only days we'll be closed for the reception of Sugar Beet is Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And I'd like to give our sincere thanks to all of the drivers of harvesters, loading shovels, lorries and indeed our own staff who keep us supplied with Sugar Beet over the next two weeks. And in particular, Boxing Day. So hopefully you can expect mince pies in the factory on Boxing Day. And a panto to listen to as well, because the uh, farming programme pantomime, which you're a part of, will be on Boxing day uh, so uh, yeah no excuse <laughs> enjoy Great. your mince pie and enjoy the program nick thank you we'll see you in the new year thank you sean nick morris british sugar as promised on to grain then it's henry with the news good morning week. hi henry how are you uh, yeah good good so what's happening uh the markets they seem to be holding a bit of a level at the moment um just i think a bit of a slowdown with the christmas break uh, i think a few people have probably already started to, started to take the break already so there has we have seen some bit of short covering this week. Just seen some um, some quick spikes up in the markets, just with people covering little bits and pieces. Globally, though, there is ample supply of wheat of dubious quality. Australia is predicting a record harvest, um, so obviously this is going to have an impact. But within the UK, uh, we are seeing a domestic uh, tight domestic supply and demand. So having a bit of a look at the markets in a bit more detail. Last week, we did see the USDA report, which came out a week last Friday, kind of processing in the market. The report showed an increase in production in Australia, but there has been an anticipation cut uh, to the Russian uh, wheat exports. So they're kind of slightly balancing each other out. But something of interest is that Australia is actually going to have to export wheat like it has never done before every day from today until this time next year. We'll wait and see if that happens. 
There's been a bit of an increase in production also in China uh, and a small one in the EU, um, one in um, also Brazil and Canada. Just to be talking about the uh, Russian exports, it could weigh on the market obviously in the new year uh, once they start shipping again. So we'll wait and see what impact that has. Having a bit of a look at the corn in the USDA report, unchanged. Uh, there has been some export rises from Brazil and Russia, so that could have an, a factor, but we'll wait and see what, how that plays out in the new year. So just the Aussie numbers, kind of the combined tonnes of their harvest is, is due to be uh, 32.77 million tonnes. It's marginally larger than the 2011-12, uh, which is when they exported 31.9 million tonnes. So those numbers uh, all could come down to logistics and quite how they uh, feel the strain. Again, wait and see. Last week, we saw a few tenders in the market with Algeria, Tunisia. Just waiting for the results. Chances are they're either going to come out of the Black Sea or Argentina. So wait and see on that one. Looking at the futures market, I know quite a few people do watch them. They are becoming quite detracted from the cash markets. So do bear that in mind when you're looking at them. But they are holding a level as well, obviously on currency. So we'll wait and see what the currency does uh, with with um, things coming out of courts and, and bits and pieces as well in the new year. Something to note, though, is Russia currently looking to ship wheat uh, to India. Because India has removed their import tax, no one quite knows how that's going to work. So we'll see if there's any, uh, uh, see quite how that plays out. So having a look outlook into the new year, being some very cold, extremely cold weather in the US plains and also in Ukraine. Have they got the snow in the right places? Wait and see. Um, and the supply and the demand is also going to be tight. So having a bit of a look at the prices, December 129 to 132, March 17, 135 to 139, May 17, 136 to 140, November 17, 124 to 128. Those November 17 prices aren't bad prices, so maybe worth having a bit of a look at. Having a look at the feed barley market. At the moment, the feed barley market on a worldwide is there's plenty of um, barley out there. Tunisia has bought barley this week, either going to come from the Black Sea or France. Something of interest, though, with this one is that they are going to take deliveries down to 88 uh, kilogram bushel weight. I know that we shipped quite a lot, a lot of that early season, so we'll see how that plays. The prices for feed barley, December 114 to 116, March 17, 117 to 119, May 17, 118 to 121, November 17, 110 to 112 bit of a quick look at the malting barley market there's been li- uh, little uh, new activity this week on the bol- malting barley market uh, the business has been doing a bit limited trade on some shorts filling in some spot demands uh, so limited activity firmer pound is putting pressure uh, on the uk values so again if you've got it let's start having a think about it the seed rate market uh, is finding some support with strong domestic uh, demands in the us but also with the shorts uh, that we're going to see in the new year here that's certainly pushing up prices. Also, palm oil closed higher for the second day on the back of currency. Again, the prices are looking better than they have been, certainly this time last year. So having a look at those prices, December 343 to 344, March 17, 345, May 17 is 346 to 347, November 17, 321 to 322. Thank you. Henry Young, Open Field. I'm Sean Dundrell, and with our final agronomy advice of 2016, it's Sean Sparling. Hello, Sean. Rounding up the year, if you like, or looking forward to a new year? Well, a bit of both. I think <laughs> it's been a difficult old year. It, it's been, as an agronomist, it's been incredibly hard work, actually. Um, nothing ran according to plan. The weather didn't help. But the final yields were pretty good. 
and we can't argue with that, really. Um, but we're still in this year, and obviously we have to start thinking about the fact we're about to take a couple of three weeks off, some of us. Um, and as an agronomist, that worries me a little bit when I look out in the field and I see that the pigeons, the slugs, the rabbits, the hares, they don't know it's Christmas, obviously, as the song says. And... Uh, they're going to need watching over the next few weeks, particularly now, as we've said before, it's come quite mild again. Soil temperatures are slightly lifted. We're back in the mid-fives again. And that means the slugs are coming up from underneath and we can see new damage being caused by those wretched little mollusks. Uh, we should send them over to France as a Christmas present, as we said it before, molluscular gastronomy. They'll eat anything over there. I think we should just send the slugs over there, trap them and send them over. But what I'm saying is do not let your guard down over Christmas. Don't just go away for two weeks and then go back and have a look at your crops two weeks later because you might well find that the pigeons have done significant damage and the slugs have done significant damage too. So get the slug traps out. Remember your restrictions on metallihyde. Move into ferric phosphate. It works just as well although you don't see the carcasses laid all over the place but it is very very safe particularly against water courses etc and what i would also say is if you just have a little bit of a spill with your slug pellets just if you know it's going to go into a drain for goodness sake just let somebody know kelly hatfield for example at the anglian water because they can then change what they do on abstraction points so that it doesn't get into the water that you know that's all being tested and though all of those sorts of things that sort of um, two-way conversation between angling water and farmers helps everything to do with what we're doing we're trying to be careful but these things happen so you just let somebody know if they do um, and obviously as we go through the next few weeks the question becomes when do we need to put that top up of liberator on that somebody's left me um, because you've got you've already done your point six six weeks ago and you can top that up with another point three as far as black grass goes and that's a decision you and your agronomist have to take if it's freezing cold if it's soaking wet if you can't travel is there any need to go and make a huge mess at the moment i would probably argue that the answer to that question is no um, but you know your own fields, you know where your difficult problem fields are. What's interesting to me is I think the preems have worked incredibly well on these wheats. Um, they're picking up the black grass very well, particularly where late drilling was employed. And for those people who are panicking about getting wheat in the ground now in dodgy conditions, perhaps you ought to be leaving that until spring wheat drilling to get it in in a better condition than you're going to put it in now. Um, but remember, if you've got deter on the seed, you can't drill that after the 1st of January. So you need to be on top of that one and make sure you're okay with it and there's not going to be an awful lot happen over the next six seven weeks i don't think certainly you can't go and put chlorpyrifos on anymore for wheat bull fly because we don't have chlorpyrifos anymore for wheat bull fly um so the only thing that's likely to happen is uh, propizamide on oil seed rate which hasn't already go on gone on and also things like bifinox obviously and if you get a good day and you get a dry leaf and you can keep it dry for three or four hours then if you've got black grass in a wheat field you might want to go and put some uh, atlantis on that and put a residual in with it to mop up whatever comes so it's that time of year what i all i want to say really is just don't let your guard down on the things that are eating your crop while you're away because munching on sprouts you may well be but they'll be munching on your rate while you're doing that thank you well, you're back for the Panto, obviously, um, next, well, Boxing Day. It's not actually going to be the first ever farming programme, I think, on a Monday. Really? Yeah, I think so. Good I think Lord. so. So uh, that'll be on Boxing Day. Um, and uh, you're Prince Sparling, I believe. I believe so. You know, written, part written for me, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll chat to you on that. Well, we'll hear from you on the Panto next week. Have a good Christmas and New Year otherwise. And the same to, and to our listener, have a happy Christmas and a peaceful New Year, hopefully. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. 
As mentioned, it is a week to go until the big day, and while many will be celebrating next weekend, many won't be. In farming, those who are already struggling may find the festive period particularly tough, but the message is help is out there, and you don't need to be embarrassed about asking for it. Easier said than done, I know. In a moment, we'll hear from the agricultural chaplain, Alan Robson. He's, of course, heavily involved with the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network. First, Robert Bauer is from the RABI, the Royal Agricultural Benevolent Institution. Everybody has problems somewhere online, but we're very, very proud people, and it's a very, very lonely life, and more so nowadays because we haven't so much labour on the place. Um, We're very much on our own, and I hear and see some horror stories that, just quite unbelievable and farmers are still plodding away trying to get through their problems usually through health and accidents and, and everything and it's quite horrifying sometimes you, you know farmer yourself yeah um, I'm still farming did, was, yeah. was you aware of just how much the charity did before you got involved no 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 I actually did an after dinner speech many many years ago and a lady came to me after my speech and said her father was in, involved with the rabbi. And, and, and I said, right, and they wondered if I might go and do a, t- a speech. It was somewhere in Leicestershire. And I remember looking across and thinking, well, he doesn't look like a rabbi to me. <laughs> and I didn't know what it was all about then, and that is one of the big problems, is getting it out to people that we are here and, and what we actually do and represent. And... I do various talks on um, my water meadows. I go out and do presentations with my laptop, and um, quite it's, it's quite good now. And I've obviously found out as well that you can get the internet on computers now, so that that's quite helpful. And we, I always do a few words about our ABI to begin with, and usually I'll hand one or two leaflets out. But somewhere along the line, that's probably going to help somebody, and it's getting the word out again. Well, we've got people listening now who maybe haven't heard of... Well, have heard the name, but don't know quite what you do. So what what are you about, really? If you could, if you put it in a nutshell, what would it be? Uh, we're there to give practical help uh, for people that have got probably disabilities or illness. People... I can give you one case that I know of that um, somebody actually was willing to publish it where he'd got... His wife had got cancer... He was milking up in the hills somewhere, he'd got children, and she was in a hospital too far away, and he couldn't afford to um, get a relief milk in. Somebody contacted the RABI, the wheels were put into motion, and they paid for a relief milker, and so he could go and visit his wife, and probably a babysitter as well. And it's just practical help that, you know, in other cases, they might supply a wheelchair for somebody. Or it might be a one-off payment. And it can be a, a tiny little thing, or it could be something huge. But yeah. it's just helping relieve the stress, if you like, isn't it? That's exactly, what, you know. yeah. yeah. Just knowing that there's somebody out there yeah. and able to help. Um, you, you've got, you, we're all, we can all get in trouble very easily. And it's just nice to know that there's somewhere there that, that can sort you out and help you. It's, it's a terrific organisation. Robert Bauer there from the RABI. Well, much of what Robert had to say there is also echoed by agricultural chaplain Alan Robson. Never be too afraid or too embarrassed or too ashamed to speak to somebody uh, about a situation that's not always easily resolved, but uh, an answer can be found um, somewhere uh, by someone working with you. 
and so, sometimes talk. it's just talking to people as well that can be you know it's, it's taking the weight off your shoulders almost isn't that, it that, sharing it yeah that's right yeah. it's 90 percent of the route to recovery if you want to put it that way of being able to share your thoughts get it off your chest pile it all out um, sometimes you can't do that with your family your nearest and dearest or you've even fallen out with your family and you can't do it. Um, so talking to somebody independent like Lincolnshire Rural Support Network uh, within the team uh, gives a different perspective. And believe me, we've really seen every sort of problem there ever is um, in the farming world over the last 17 years. So we're not going to be shocked nor surprised or you know, even judgmental about it. You know, ultimately, we want to find the best solution. It's human nature, isn't it, that we we all, well, especially men more than others, not being sexist, but don't 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 just want to, you know, emba- like you say, embarrassed really, just put the phone up to say I need help. Yeah, and 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 sometimes they think they're in such a corner that well they'll not be able to do anything about it. What can they do if I've got you know the bank on my back or liquidators on my back or uh, county council demands or water board demands or whatever what can they do well believe me we can do something um we can talk at a fairly high level to just get everything calmed down and people to um back off a little bit while we we get a plan put together uh, these things don't happen overnight they're often being left undone for months on end and uh you should never leave anything for months on end. Uh, you've got to try and tackle it. And if you can't tackle it immediately, then um, yeah, get people who will help you to bit by bit work at each bit of the problem till it's sorted. And going into the new year, your hopes? <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> no. uh, it is difficult because the world is in such a volatile place. And, uh, yeah, of course, yeah, history moves on and time moves on. And there's always been difficult periods. Um, and it's about people working together and rallying together. And I think the farming community, whether it's the Country Landowners and Business Association or the Tenant Farmers Association or the NFU, they really are going to have to work very closely together to come out with a common framework for a new British agriculture that's going to be less generous than the common agricultural policy going forward in the years to come and how we can trade our products in a very volatile world will take really good thought through um, plans uh, and, and policies but equally, farming needs to see how it can reconnect um, to the increasingly urbanised population. There needs to be a better understanding from both sides, um, from the urban to the rural, rural to the urban, and begin to really talk of how we are all in this together um, to manage resources. Wise words. Merry Christmas, Canon Alan Robson, looking to a new year. Well, from looking forward to a new year, what about looking forward to the week ahead, certainly weather-wise? A white Christmas, anyone? The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Hard to say, a week out, but in a word, I think I'll say no. <laughs> we'll see about the white Christmas. Today, anyway, uh, looks like being not too bad, actually. Uh, dry, patchy clouds, six Celsius. The wind from the west southwest, 10, gusting at 15 miles an hour.
dry overnight. Again, cloudy. Lows down to around 4 Celsius, that wind. Starting from the west, about 5 miles an hour. Then from the southwest, 5 to 7 miles an hour, first thing tomorrow morning. There's a possibility of a shower or two through the morning tomorrow, but should dry out by the afternoon. Highs, again, around 6 Celsius, that wind from the south, southwest, at about 5 miles an hour. Monday into Tuesday, staying dry, but increasing cloud, very overcast uh, temperatures, around uh, 5 Celsius overnight. The wind, more from the south, at about 5 miles an hour. And then Tuesday, at the moment, looks like being a sunny day, little if any cloud, 6 Celsius the high, and the wind continuing from the south, between 8 and 15 miles an hour. Clear skies overnight Tuesday into Wednesday. That will push temperatures down to a freezing point in some parts, generally around 1 Celsius, but it might just get a frost uh, dip below freezing first thing Wednesday. Temperatures continuing from the south at around 10 miles an hour. And then Wednesday itself, another sunny day, a very chilly day actually, despite that southerly wind at 10, gusting at 20 miles an hour. Highs for Wednesday at the moment of around 3 Celsius. Now, for the latter end of the week, there's the possibility of some wintry showers. Could well be snow in there with the temperatures being quite so low, particularly overnight Wednesday into Thursday. We'll keep a check on that. It is a bit early to say and the forecast uh, can change. As for, um, well, Christmas Day itself, it's looking unlikely, it's fair to say. While we do have this, the jet streams moving slightly and that is going to bring in some cold air, uh, certainly for the latter part of the week, it looks like it may just start to warm up again uh, next weekend come Christmas Day itself. But, as ever... It's purely a forecast, and we will keep you updated with the hourly forecast as we get ever closer to the end of the week. That is the forecast then, and that is the farming programme for this year. There's uh, no programme now until January the 8th. Oh, wait. Oh, yes, there is. Uh, We've the farming programme, annual pantomime next week, as we mentioned with uh, Sean Sparling earlier. Not on Sunday, though, as, of course, next Sunday is Christmas Day, but instead on Monday, Boxing Day. Hopefully you can join us for that. All the farming regulars will be included. I I can only apologise now for the bad acting. Anyway, until then, for our farming pantomime on Boxing Day, have, from all of us here on the programme, a very merry farming Christmas.